Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The books of the Bible written by Solomon are known as books of wisdom. In a sense, every sentence of Scripture, every word of Scripture, it teaches wisdom for Scripture is, in fact, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, and it reveals to us Christ, our Savior, making us wise unto salvation. The final aim of the Scriptures, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, is the eternal salvation of our bodies and souls as the scriptures direct us to our Savior, Jesus. After all, Jesus alone bore our sins in his body, and he redeemed us. He's the only one who redeemed us, because he alone shed his innocent blood as the payment for our sin when he went to the cross. The Bible says we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, Christ is our wisdom, as we shall see in our reading from Proverbs. You may recall that the Lord appeared to Solomon one day and asked Solomon to, or told Solomon to, make a request, and God will give to Solomon that which he requests. Solomon requested wisdom, and God was pleased with this request. And God said to Solomon, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Solomon requested that which is godly. He wanted wisdom. He could have requested health, long life, or riches, or fame, but instead he had sought after wisdom. And often with wisdom comes those other things. Today's Old Testament lesson is found in one of Solomon's wisdom books, the book of Proverbs. Our our reading can be divided into three parts. First, the value of wisdom. Second, what wisdom hates. And then third, what wisdom is, has, and offers. So how valuable is wisdom? How important is wisdom? As we heard in our reading, wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. In today's gospel, there were some who thought that they were wise, but they were simply trying to be crafty. These men plotted on how they could entangle Jesus in his speech because they were seeking to put the Lord of life on trial. They rejected him as the promised Messiah, and so they schemed to come up with the best way to entangle him. They sought a question to catch Jesus And they asked him the simple question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, being God, of course, saw their malice. And he he was able to make a clear confession so that they could not catch him. 
They thought it was foolproof, though, because if Jesus would say you do not have to pay taxes, then he could, they could make the accusation that he is a traitor to the Roman government that rules over them. And if Jesus said that they should pay taxes, then they could say, see, this is not the promised Messiah because they felt that the promised Messiah should liberate the Judeans from the Romans. And how can he support this foreign government if he is the true Messiah? But Jesus' answer was not a yes or a no, but instead he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In the simple statement, Jesus silenced the Pharisees and the Herodians and they could not accuse him. But that is the way with true wisdom. It cannot be silenced, nor can true wisdom be accused. Only Fools would attempt to silence or accuse the wisdom of God. God's word says in 1 Corinthians 3, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, so let no one boast in man. You see, true wisdom is to know the ways of God and to walk in them. Anything that contradicts what God teaches is truly folly. It may seem like it is smart at the moment, but the Lord sees all things and knows all things things he knows where he knows where con- where contradicting him will lead an issue that has faced the church since adam and eve is how much do we obey what god says and how much do we do what we think is right shouldn't really be an issue but we can see throughout church history that this has been an issue. Many churches today flagrantly disobey God and walk according to what is right in their own eyes. And in Bible times, that never ended well. Look at what happened to Adam and Eve when they were told, don't eat from this one tree, and then they thought it looked right in their eyes, food that is pleasing to their eyes and good for food, And they ate the forbidden fruit. The Israelites suffered from their warring neighbors and from famine and from foreign rule due to their insistence on doing what they figured should be the right solution when it contradicted the wisdom of God. In our own church body, some seek to do what is right in their own eyes, even as it contradicts the teachings of God. We want to let impenitent sinners feel they are forgiven by ignoring their sin. We want to water down the law so that we aren't offending anybody. We want to ignore the exclusive claim of the gospel that sinners are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone because we figure that God should admit into heaven all those who do not believe in Jesus 
and those who do not live repentant lives. For all this and more, we must repent. When answering the question, how much do we have to obey God and how much can we do what we think is right, we have a simple answer. In love toward God, in love toward our neighbors, and in love for our own selves, we must obey God. Bending the rules for some under the guise of love or charity is nothing short of lying to them and using God's name in a way that he forbids in the second commandment. For example, communing the unrepentant tells them that they are okay with us and that they are okay with God. But when they are unrepentant, they are not okay with God, for they remain soiled in their sin and they are not receiving the forgiveness of sins and they have put themselves on the path to eternal perdition. As a people of God called to be faithful, we must not give the impression that the impenitent are somehow saved apart from Christ or through a false hope of forgiveness that is not offered to the unrepentant. When the Pharisees and Herodians brought up taxes in their attempt to accuse Jesus, you can tell what was truly important to them. By using money as an example, you can see that that was their true love. But remember what our reading said so far, the first verse of our reading in Proverbs, wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I think at this point we should ask from a biblical standpoint, what is wisdom? Because the scriptures do speak of people who are wise and then God says that they're actually not wise. So is wisdom just simply a person who has a high IQ or maybe street smart? Is it someone who can survive in this difficult world or a person who can find financial success? Could it be the ability to navigate through all the viewpoints and emotions that others may have? It is, in fact, much deeper than all of these, for it is fearing God, hearing him, and heeding his life-giving and life-saving word. Those who are wise set their opinions aside and go solely with what God teaches in his word. Whenever we go against scripture by believing, thinking, or acting, in accordance to what we think is right, what we figure is best, we do, in fact, become fools. It is written in Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. St. Paul in our epistle described an example of fools when he wrote, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. God can, and he does judge those who go against the wisdom that is found in Scripture. There are three poems in Proverbs on wisdom. Our, po our portion of Proverbs is part of the second poem. The first poem on wisdom was found in Proverbs chapter 1, and there it is written, Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I will also laugh at your calamity. 
I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. I hated knowledge. That actually gets us to the second portion of our reading today in Proverbs chapter 8. In this portion, wisdom is speaking. So God is speaking, of course, but it says, I wisdom, and then you hear the I. So think of this as the wisdom, the wisdom of God. In verses 12 and 13, we heard, I wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Here, wisdom is equated with the fear of God. And sadly, many try to downplay the notion of fearing God, saying that fear simply means to respect. But remember what our catechism teaches. God threatens to punish all who transgress these commandments. Therefore, we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. If we didn't fear God, we would think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, to use the language of the Lenten hymn. The fear of the Lord is, in fact, the hatred of evil. Instead of hating evil, fools will embrace that evil, or they'll downplay it, or insist that certain evils are no longer sin. True wisdom, though, hates pride, arrogance, and perverted speech, as we just heard. That is, true wisdom loves humility and truth, God's truth. And then in the third and final portion of our reading from Proverbs, wisdom is continuing to speak. Therefore, wisdom says, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles and all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old." This beautiful passage actually echoes what Isaiah the prophet would later write. In chapter 11, Isaiah prophesied of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The ultimate reward for true godly wisdom is not material wealth. The wisdom or the, the rewards, the, the, the wealth that is described here in our passage from, from Proverbs is actually speaking of being recipients of the gospel of Christ. 
which results in eternal life and salvation, goes far beyond the material wealth that a person can accrue in this life. You see, Christ is our wisdom. St. Paul echoes our reading from Proverbs when he wrote in Ephesians 3, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the gospel to the or to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The true riches that we have, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is what we have in Jesus the forgiveness of sins, being added into his family, being baptized into Christ, to feast on the body and blood of Jesus for our forgiveness, to be received into God's kingdom, and to be granted the gift of eternal life and salvation. For Christ is a source of these eternal riches for all who call upon him. After all, as we heard in our epistle, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. What blessings we have through the crucified one, the promise, the gift, the guarantee that Christ has come to forgive us, to reconcile us to our Father, to teach us the way of truth, and to give us the gift of eternal life and salvation. While our knowledge is wisdom, God reveals to us his saving wisdom. While our lives are mortal, God now grants to us eternal life. While we have inherited the sin of Adam, Christ grants us an eternal inheritance of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, while our sin may make us ashamed, God in Christ exalts us as redeemed children of God, members of his family. And while we confess that we are poor, miserable sinners, through Christ we are granted heavenly riches as he declares us righteous. This is the wisdom for us to dwell on. This is the wisdom to extol. This is why we believe, teach, and confess the life-giving and life-saving word of God and why we do not depart from it. Let me close by reading to you this passage from James. St. James wrote, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.